Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome back to Talkin' Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Here to bring you NFL insight heading into week 13, a week that the Giants have a veritable playoff game at home against the Washington Commanders. We will talk to J.P. Finley of 106.7 The Fan down in D.C. and NBC Sports Washington in our second segment to get the lowdown on the Commanders, whether Chase Young will play and what's going on at the quarterback position and if he thinks they have a chance to beat the Giants. I'm not going to spend too much time on Odell Beckham Jr. right now because I am taping this basically as he is visiting the New York Giants here in New Jersey. Now, what I can tell you is I know Odell Beckham wants to come back to the Giants, has interest in being a Giant again, but people around him think that the best contract offer likely gets this done. The Dallas Cowboys are the team with the most salary cap space who reportedly are considering and willing to consider a two-year deal if the numbers are right. Uh, The only other team with cap space close to theirs available that I think would be a last-minute dark horse possibly is the San Francisco 49ers, who also have around $6 in cap space. And that's a team with GM John Lynch and Coach Kyle Shanahan that they and Beckham have had eyes for each other for a long time. But right now, Odell scheduled visits the Giants, the Bills, the Dallas Cowboys. Buffalo just announced before I started taping that Von Miller is going on injured reserve and will be out at least four weeks. That is interesting because he is Odell Beckham Jr.'s best friend or one of his best friends and one of the draws to Beckham possibly signing in Buffalo for a potential Super Bowl run. So that could impact what happens in these sweepstakes as well. But before I talk about OBJ, I want to get to betonline.ag and tell you a little bit about them. Basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And where I start is by saying that, first of all, Odell Beckham Jr. will make the Giants a better team if he signs, but they need to get Saquon Barkley going. Uh, Barkley's numbers in their recent three losses, I believe it's 46 carries for 114 yards total in their three losses. So as much as I'm focused on Odell, I'm looking more at what Barkley and the Giants running game needs to do to help them make a playoff push. But we will have much more on Odell coming up down the way, maybe even in a special emergency podcast episode, depending on what decision he makes. But what I wanted to talk about going into week 13 here, past the players and past these free agent sweepstakes, is coaching in the NFL. 
I want to talk about teams who win and teams who lose, how you become a winner and how you become a loser. And Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I thought, had an extremely meaningful win against the Baltimore Ravens this past week. So the Jaguars have now won two of three. They've obviously been disappointing in how they've been unable to finish games, right? They have losses to the Texans, the Colts, the Giants, um, to the Denver Broncos of all teams. I've talked to people, though, who played in Jacksonville under Urban Meyer, who were there before they turned this over to the Super Bowl winning head coach Peterson. And there was a definite sense in Jacksonville, and there are still players there who were on these teams. There was quit in the team. There were players who had given up, who figured there's no point under Urban Meyer. It was that bad. It was that bad of a culture. It was that bad of an experience. And think about Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick, trying to develop and become the quarterback everybody believes him to be with Urban Meyer as the head coach and really just having to you know, chalk up that rookie season as a complete wash. So I bring all that up to say this. When Doug Peterson goes for two at the end of this game, rather than kicking the extra point to tie, I understand that Peterson has made some fourth down calls and been over aggressive this year, and it hasn't helped the Jaguars in some of these losses. It's, I think, fair to say that, hey, look, you coached the Philadelphia Eagles one way, one season, and it was working. That doesn't mean you coach a young Jaguars team the same way, maybe the same strategy is different or should be different for two different teams in two different spots. And that's how I felt about some of those calls earlier this year. But when I watch this end result here and I watch the Jaguars win the way they did, and I watch how Lawrence is playing now under Peterson deep into this season, I think it's important to note how key and critical it will be for this Jaguars team, for Lawrence and for Peterson, what he's building that they won, that they won in this way, and that their head coach is teaching them how to win. Now, like I said, it's not all perfect. Peterson and his coaching staff still, they had to go back and look at this squib kick at the end of the game. After they go for two, this squib kick that allows the Ravens to start with the ball uh, practically at their own 40-yard line and get into field goal range for Justin Tucker to almost make a 67-yarder. So Jacksonville still has things to clean up. But just know this, that while the Jaguars did not deliver on the, the promise and kind of the sleeper underdog picks of people like me who thought they were going to surprise people right away this season, that Peterson appears to be instilling a winning mindset and culture into an organization where there are still young players trying to get their minds around the fact that it's not the Urban Meyer tenure anymore and that this is a new day and that they have reason to believe and to play hard and to the finish of all these games. The team is playing hard now under Peterson, but it takes some time sometimes if things are that bad at an organization and at a place to dig yourself out and to get in the mindset like a team like the Giants are in New York right now this season early under Brian Dable where you stop thinking, here we go again, and you start thinking, we can do this because we did it last week. And I think that's where the Jaguars are right now, where what they're learning, and that's a great thing. Brandon Staley, also credit to him for getting the win for the Chargers over the Cardinals there by going for two at the end rather than kicking, kicking the extra point for the tie in the overtime. Um, I do think that type of call with Staley maybe comes more out of desperation. But uh, I will say this. If I'm Brandon Staley running a team that 
um, especially on defense, has really disappointed compared to what it should have under a defensive head coach and a guy who came in and what you're thinking you could do based on your personnel. I think that Brandon Staley and any coach, you should stay true to who you are. And Staley came in as an aggressive coach, listening to the analytics, but more than anything, just his calling card was, I believe in my players. I believe in Justin Herbert, especially, and I would too. And I'm going to put the ball in his hands and I'm not going to coach afraid. And if Staley is going, if any coach is going to lose their job, I think they should lose it on their terms. And, you know, this season still has a chance to go right at the end here for the Chargers based on Justin Herbert being healthy now, how he looks, how he's playing. But I like that Staley is coaching this way because earlier this season, Staley was getting away from what he had, uh, from what the imprint he had put on the Chargers as a rookie head coach. He was getting away from kind of his uh, his money calls and really his calling card. So I I think that it's best that a head coach coaches true to himself, doesn't try to get outside of himself. He should try to learn from some of those decisions last year that um, that cost his team and that in hindsight, even if you have a style, sometimes you know the right thing is the right thing. But I like that Staley here now with his back against the wall is being true to himself. And I'm sure that the players can see uh, that that genuine approach from Staley. And he does have a reputation of being a genuine guy. On the flip side, my goodness, how many coaches were costing their team's games on this Thanksgiving weekend? I mean, Dan Campbell and the Lions, what happened at the end of that game was driving me nuts. I mean, if I didn't have a Giants-Cowboys game to turn to and cover while down in Dallas, I, I mean, I would have I would have spent way more time right in the moment digging into that in social media because it was an abomination what happened in Detroit. And I love... I love what the Lions have done this year, especially on offense. They play hard and, uh, you know, their offense really has been impressive and they've been in most games and they've surprised some people and they still could continue to surprise, but you can't be the reason your team loses in the head coaching seat. And in this game, Detroit gets the ball back with 240 left at their own 25 with all three timeouts and the bills are up three points. And, Without getting into all the into the weeds, the bottom line is that Campbell played for the tie. He runs the clock down on this drive, lets it bleed down for a 51-yard field goal, mind you, which is no gimme. They end up making it, but then the Bills end up going uh, 36 yards, three yards, nine yards, and three plays, kicking a 45-yarder to win the game. I understand that Campbell was trying not to give the ball back to the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. I'm on board there, but I'm watching him manage this drive as if he's content with a field goal. I mean, the way that he ran the clock down so deep, the players and the Lions players and the Lions offense, it had to be clear to everybody, we're playing for a tie, even though there's two two minutes and 40 seconds left at, at the 25-yard line with three timeouts. You can't coach like that. How do you prepare for these games every week and end up coaching the end of a game like that? The fact of the matter is in that scenario, if you're coaching to tie, you're, you're coaching to lose, you're the reason your team lost that game. And that is a, that is just unacceptable. 
Speaking of unacceptable, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Todd Bowles. Here we go again. First of all, Tom Brady and the Bucs, their final seven possessions of this game against the Browns that they lose. Zero points in those final seven possessions of the game. 23-17 loss. They get the ball with 32 seconds remaining at their own 25 with all three timeouts. Brady throws a one-yard pass. Todd Bowles doesn't call a timeout. The clock runs, the clock runs, the clock runs. With a tie game here, 17-17, Bowles lets the clock run down far enough where Brady and the Bucks end up not in field goal range and they have to throw the ball on the final play of the, of the second half instead of having a field goal try. So it goes to overtime and the Bucks lose. Todd Bowles had game management issues when he was the Jets coach. I know that you have a veteran quarterback and you know, you'd love to say put it in his hands and Brady deserves some of the blame too. But come on. I mean, there's 32 of these jobs. People are banging down doors all over the place in the coaching world, working their butts off night and day, trying to do this stuff, trying to get these jobs, trying to prove themselves. If you are on a sideline of an NFL team and this is how you manage the clock, I just don't know what to tell you about how to improve your game management other than you need to go through these things during the week. You need to play out these scenarios. How do you get to a point where you manage your team away from a win to a loss? I can understand it in the this situation a little bit of the guy I'm going to talk about next. If you have no experience and you literally have been put in a position that you haven't earned, then maybe I understand it a little bit. But for guys like Todd Bowles, you know, Dan Campbell, what are we doing here? The next one I want to talk about was Jeff Saturday with the Indianapolis Colts. Like I said, you know, I mean, certainly he had something to do with him being the the interim head coach of the Colts. But Jim Irsay plucking a guy with no head coaching experience in college or NFL, you put him on the sidelines. Here we go. 24-17 Pittsburgh Steelers. The Colts have the ball at the two-minute warning. Fourth and three at the Steelers 37. They get it. They get the fourth down. They convert. No timeout called. They have three timeouts in their pocket. Then Matt Ryan gets sacked, running a play at one minute, 35 seconds. No timeout called. Then he scrambles on second and 17 with 59 seconds left. No timeout called. Then they run the ball with Jonathan Taylor with 34 seconds left. Then Jeff Saturday uses his first timeout. The first time he used a timeout. At the 32nd mark. Wouldn't you know they end up in a fourth and three? They don't get it. They lose. Jeff Saturday, good for him saying I should have called the timeout. And again, like I said, you know, no one thought that he should be in this position in the first place. But again, you know, I I always chuckle when people get angry at media and reporters and people like me who really try to grind and understand the game and watch the games and dig into some of these decisions and this stuff. And listen, all these coaches have forgotten more football than I know. And I'm going to say that, obviously. But this is not rocket science. And some of these guys, and they're putting in the work too, but some of these guys, they are no more experts at these situations and these decisions than you or I are if we're putting in the time on these games based on these calls. Because these are reckless, awful, um, incompetent decisions. And the final one that's less, it's less uh, infuriating to me, but certainly curious, 
Brian Dable with the Giants down 15 points in the fourth quarter at Dallas on Thanksgiving. The Giants get the ball with 8.53 remaining in the fourth quarter, down 15 points. And they go on a drive where they have the ball until three minutes and 17 seconds remain in the fourth. And the drive ends with no points when they go for it on fourth down at the Dallas 37, pass falls incomplete. On that drive, the Giants did move the ball some, but Dayball Cole and Mike Kafka called four runs in six plays to start the drive with no timeouts used during that time. So they end up down two scores with basically nine minutes left, and they don't use timeouts. They run the ball a ton. They pretty much take their time and huddle uh, throughout the early part of the of the drive, and they essentially bleed almost six minutes off the clock without scoring any points. Now they now they get a stop on Dallas the next drive, and they use their two final two timeout their final two timeouts. They actually didn't have one because they used one on defense back in the third quarter. So they also didn't have all three of their timeouts. But of course, wouldn't you know, the Giants actually go down and score on their next and the final drive of the game, but they only end up scoring with eight seconds left. And Dable kicks the extra point, rather going for two. So they still remain down eight. The onside kick goes Dallas's way. C.D. Lamb falls on it and the Giants lose. Maybe the Giants still lose if, if Dable and the Giants offense show more urgency. But it's just, it's so confusing why clock management is so difficult for a lot of these coaches. And like I said, sometimes you have to go through something to fully understand it. And sometimes the urgency of playing out a scenario is nothing like doing it on the sideline and doing it on game day. But you have to you have to go through repetition with this stuff. You have to put yourself, you know, play a play war game, so to speak. You know, you have to put you and your staff through these scenarios so that when you're there, there can't be any second guessing and you already know the answer. You already know the answer to the test walking in. And so that was my biggest takeaway from week 12 in the NFL. Um, sorry for ranting, but boy, that, especially that Dan Campbell one and that Todd Bowles one, they really fired me up, man. (laughs) But that's all from just me. We're going to go over to our second segment, talk to JP Finley, um, who covers the Washington commanders. And he has some interesting stuff to say about the giants division rivals. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard here with a special guest to preview the Commanders Giants playoff game essentially on Sunday. JP Finley from NBC Sports Washington and 106.7 The Fan. JP, welcome. What's up, Pat? Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, you got it, man. Hey, I'm sure you're like me, uh, grateful that we're covering relevant football this late in the year. I wanted to get right in to kind of the details of what will decide this game. And I think my first question and the question a lot of Giants fans is, frankly and simply, is Chase Young going to play? I don't have a simple answer. I, I can't say yes or no. I, I, I lean no, but I don't know. Um, one thing that's been kind of weird is the Commanders have an indoor practice bubble uh, for inclement weather. Rivera likes them outside almost exclusively, but some days the weather's just too bad and they come inside. And on those days so far, they haven't let Chase go on the turf. And the Meadowlands turf has its own reputation that isn't really well received among players. And I asked Ron point blank if the turf would have any issue. And he said, no, but I'm not sure I believe it. Um, 
And Jack Del Rio's kind of been a really good barometer on all things Chase because Ron is is way more diplomatic and Jack kind of tends to just let out what he thinks. And Jack spoke today on Thursday and said that, you know, when he does return, it's going to be all about Young just to kind of play within the scheme. I, I just – I don't know, and I, I lean – we've been surprised so many times with this thing. I thought for sure he was going to play against Philly on Monday night last month <laughs> and was kind of told that. And then going into the week, it kind of went sideways. So I, I'm in a wait-till-I-see-it mode. So maybe we get to see him in that second Giants-Commanders game after the bye week. but not Yeah, I can see that for sure. I can see that for sure. Or, or if you do see him – this in the Meadowlands, I think it'll be really limited. It'd be like 15 pass rushes, and they've got some injuries on their offensive line. So, kind of the roster gymnastics they're going to have to do is going to be pretty interesting, anyway. Huh, that's fascinating. Well, the Giants may uh, may be very grateful not to face Chase Young at least in one of these two games, but they are going to be facing players who have been in Washington's lineup and have made them one of the hottest teams in the NFL. And I have to ask you about kind of the spearhead of, of it all, Taylor Heineke, and really him and the whole team, you know, six or seven right now on this streak. And I just wanted to ask you, just frankly, like is Heineke for real? Is what he and this Washington team is doing on a week-to-week basis, is it sustainable and is it for real? Or is everybody waiting for this, you know, house of cards to collapse? Like how, what's the feeling around the team right now? <laughs> what's funny is the answer to all of that might be yes like like i don't know if is what they're doing right now for real yes they're running the ball really well they're playing really really good defense they're kind of controlling both lines of scrimmage um is is heineke for real i mean yeah he he has a very real tangible leadership quality a very real tangible um gutsiness guys respond to him um, he's able to avoid sacks. He's, he's a smart player, but like th- there's some, there's some limitations with his arm. Um, you know, he threw for 138 yards passing last week. So how real is like, I, I mean, honestly, he, he kind of reminds me of Daniel Jones with maybe not as good of an arm and a little more guts. Like, so whatever your questions about DJ might be, I, I think you could ask similarly about Taylor Heineke. I, Finding a quarterback is so damn hard, and this kid's able to win games. So there's something to that, right? But, yeah, like, yeah, I don't think he's ever a top 10 QB in the NFL, anything like that. Yeah, I, I was really interested, honestly, to hear Julian Love, the Giants captain in safety. He said more glowing things about Heineke than I've heard really any Giants player say about a quarterback they faced this year. You know, he's a winner. He's got moxie. You can see the difference on the film when you're watching it in the huddle and how guys respond to him. So, you know, as much as the Giants over the years, with the exclusion of last year, have kind of had Washington's number, the Giants players think he's for real, very clearly. And uh, there's a lot of respect for Heineke. And I think, too, respect for him in the sense that, you know, all the Giants games, and as you know, a lot of the games in the NFL, really week to week now, they're all decided, you know, on the last possession in the fourth quarter. Parity's been crazy. And Heineke's that guy And I think the Giants sense that, that like if the game's close, they know that, you know, he could have two or three interceptions before that, but he might still be the guy who makes that play, right? Totally. And I think you're so right about the NFL being razor thin margins. I mean, the 
Commanders this year have had two games basically end on goal line interceptions with less than 20 seconds left. They won one and they lost one. Like, like that's, I mean, that, that just shows you how razor thin it's, I, I don't know that people re- nationally recognize, like it's Heineke's team right until it isn't. And, and I, I'm sure there are people in that building that want to go back to Wentz and, and I won't be stunned if we see Wentz again this year. Get out of here. Are you kidding oh, me? Yes. <laughs> I was not ready for you to say that. Dude, wow. They're paying $28 million and they sent two draft picks to get him. Like you're not going to lose the locker room if you do that. Um, that's what you're just saying. You wait, you wait till Heineke loses a game and then you do it. If they lose this week in the Meadowlands and then you've got to buy, I won't be shocked. Oh my goodness. I don't think they should. Let me be clear. I think (laughs) it's not like Wentz was killing it, but like the, the economics of the NFL are, we all know what they are. I listen, I'll bet if you pulled a a 2000 giants fans right now, who they'd rather face in that second game, they would say they'd rather face Wentz. Oh, I, not that not that the fans would be it. the authority, but I think that's what I would say. Dude, I, I get it. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> Wentz almost has the opposite of Heineke, where he has all these athletic gifts and just this aura of self-destruction. <laughs> what a fantastic answer and something I wasn't expecting. Uh let me let me ask you too about uh, we get guy calls every day on our radio show for people saying to go back to Wentz. Maybe that's just how based on what based uh, on because DC sports fans are nuts and the city is financially built on being divisive. Perhaps I don't know, but <laughs> so so what you're saying is even though Heineke has this moxie and even though Washington has been winning with him, and even though the players love playing with him and for him, that sense of imminent disaster lurking around the bend based on how he plays and how he lives on the edge is so palpable that it makes a fair amount of people still say, maybe we should go back to Wentz. Yeah, roughly that. And a fair amount might only be about 15, 20% of fans, but, um, and there's 25% of fans that want Heine to get a long-term extension. So like, it's a crazy world down here, dude. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah, we're not even getting into like the off-field stuff. This is literally oh just about the team, and we're there. Um, one other question about a guy on the team, Ryan Robinson Jr., clearly a huge catalyst. How much of his story and what he's doing for the team is the inspiration he's provided from what happened off the field? And then how much of it is just pure X's and O's, like he just makes them better because of the player he is? Um, a lot of it is him. I mean, he's a super physical back. I'm sure you've watched last weekend's game by now. Um, they've also become a run-first team, and their O-line's playing way better than it was, and they're playing complementary football, which allows for this power back to really get you know, get in positive down and distance. And you got to credit the staff, too, for just leaning into this super run-heavy, um, we're-going-to-kick-everybody's-ass kind of mindset. And hmm. he is – I mean, there's only one Derrick Henry, and then, you know, you can look at some really other tough backs around the league. Nick Chubb obviously comes to mind. Um, And I'm not putting Robinson in those categories, but, like, that's the mold he's in, right? Like, like he had a a chance on a uh, receiving touchdown he had last week. Heineke hit him on the right flat, and he's got the sideline there. And I think there are some 
kind of scat speed backs that would have taken the yardage, gotten out of bounds. There are some guys, and there were two defenders between him and the end zone. There are some guys that would have cut that up, try to make a guy miss, see what you can get. And yeah. he was like, I'm going straight. And he just ran over a D-back and then ran over a safety at the goal line. And it was – that's who he is. And, and I asked him about it, and he said – he's like, yeah, man, the way I look at it is if it's me against a DB, I think I got an 80 90% chance of winning that collision. Man. All right. Two quick ones before we get you out of here. First one, do, do people in Washington care about where Odell Beckham signs, you know, like if he picks the, the Dallas Cowboys or the Giants? Um, is that a topic of conversation? Does that impact the commanders, like in your mind and in fans' minds down there? Um, not really. I, I think – once he signs somewhere, like like if he signed with Dallas in the next two weeks, or if he signed with New York in the next two weeks, and then they have to face Beckham again in the week, what is that, 15 game, it yeah. would be a topic. If he signs with Dallas, it'll be a topic. But it's not like we're not tracking it, right? I, I think he's going to the Cowboys, and then the commanders would have to see him week, is it 18 now? Week 18 when they play Dallas. Um, yeah. But, no, it's not something top of mind down here. Gotcha. And then finally, what do you think is going to happen here? Do you think Washington – and let's just stay with this game because obviously we have the two coming up, but do you think Washington wins this game at MetLife and puts the Giants on their heels? Or do you think that the Giants kind of right the ship and that the, the Washington hot streak kind of stalls here? I, th- I mean, so I – a lot of people down here, after the big win in Philly, people were scared of going to Houston because it was a classic letdown game. I didn't have that feeling. I thought that Houston was bad and they were just going to go down there and win, and that was proven correct. Um, I was quite nervous about the Falcons game last week. They were able to win it at the last second by a kind of miraculous goal line interception. Right. I feel good about going to New York. I, I think I think this team's in a really good spot. I think – I mean, you're fa- I'll probably get some hate tweets on this. I kind of – I've thought the Giants were smoking mirrors for most of the season. They got off to a good start and played some gutty ball, and I think they're really well coached. And I, I wanted Ron Rivera to hire Joe Shane last year when he went back to the well with Marty Herney. Um, mm. But I, I think the Giants are ahead of schedule, and things will kind of even out here over the last you know six weeks of the season. He is J.P. Finley. Follow him. He's NBCS Sports Washington. Uh, J.P. Finley, NBCS on Twitter. Co-host of B. Mitch and Finley Daily on 106.7, The Fan. J.P. Finley, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Thanks, dude. I'm, I'm glad I got to blow your mind with my Carson Wentz. I'm still Sorry. recovering, man. It's going to be a few <laughs> minutes here for me. All right, thanks. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's picks for the Week 13 slate. I want to start with my best bet, the Tennessee Titans plus five and a half at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are a very good team, but this line surprises me based on how Jonathan Gannon's defense needs to show me more. I know the Eagles are are expected to get Jordan Davis back on the defensive line, but the Titans have been one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They've won seven of their last nine, and the two losses in that stretch, they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs by three points and the Cincinnati Bengals by four points. I think the Eagles need to prove to me that they can move the ball easily on offense against a team and a defense like the Titans coached by, by Mike Vrabel that has gotten better throughout the season. 
But more than anything, Derrick Henry and with Ryan Tannehill, who's been hobbled on that ankle, but has been making plays. Traylon Burks, the rookie receiver from Arkansas, has come on. And so I'm not necessarily saying the Titans are definitely going to win the game, but five and a half points seems like a lot to me. I love the Titans to cover in this spot. As always, these picks brought to you by Bet Online. Typically, though, I'm using the lines that I pick for the daily news as well that come from earlier in the week on Wednesday. So if the line I'm telling you now is a little bit different from what you see on betonline.ag now, shoot me a DM or hit me in the comments on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever. And if the line is different, I'll tell you how my pick would evolve from there. Two more picks I'm going to give you here. Uh, The 49ers are minus three and a half. So three and a half point favorites hosting the Miami Dolphins. And I like the 49ers here. Kyle Shanahan, obviously well familiar with Mike McDaniel, his former assistant's offense that he's running, essentially taking Kyle Shanahan's offense to the Dolphins to help revitalize Tua Tagovailoa. That doesn't mean the Niners are going to completely shut Miami down. The Dolphins are sixth in the NFL in scoring, averaging 25.6 points per game. Of course, you can have a plan for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That doesn't mean you're going to stop them. We know that very well. But the Niners do have the best scoring defense in the league, 15.7 points per game allowed, which is why, along with Christian McCaffrey and their dynamic offense, they are one of the five or six or seven teams that can win the Super Bowl this year. And this streak just blows my mind. They have not given up a second half point in four straight games against the Rams, Chargers, Cardinals, and Saints. And so the Dolphins have had an excellent season. McDaniel is a coach of the year candidate, and two has had a great season as well. But I think they're running into a buzzsaw here with the Niners. And also the, the Dolphins, really, this is a step up in competition for them. Their recent schedule has been soft. So I think the combination of going on the road The fact that they haven't played a team like this of this quality in a while this year and the fact that Shanahan and D'Amico Ryans' defense are not only familiar with the scheme but playing better than anyone in the NFL on that side of the ball, I think the Niners cover this one. And then the Seattle Seahawks, minus 7.5 against the Rams. Now the Seahawks are on the road and and 7.5 is a lot of points. I'd feel more comfortable, obviously, if it was 7 flat. Uh, But with John Wolford likely starting a quarterback for the Rams – with the Rams down a ton of their key players, including Cooper Cup, I believe Aaron Donald as well, um, and just looking like a shell of themselves compared to the Super Bowl winning team from a year ago. And Sean McVay, I've seen shots of him on the sideline where he's got that face of somebody who doesn't even want to be there. Um, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but that's that's how he looks during some of these games. And I can understand it with all the injuries and the way this season has just turned that franchise on its head coming off its special 2021. But Geno Smith, the Seahawks, and Pete Carroll, they're desperate in their two remaining games against the Rams because the rest of their schedule is tough. Seattle is competing essentially with the Giants and Washington for two of the final three playoff spots in the NFC, provided that the Niners keep going and win uh, that division out west. And so they have to have these games against the Rams. They've got to have them. The Seahawks defense needs to clean it up. I mean, their performance against the Las Vegas Raiders in that loss was horrendous, horrific, You could, whatever word you want to use. Uh, the Seahawks are young. They're going to go through some of these growing pains, but they are fast on defense. And against a Rams team that really has nothing going right at the moment, uh, I like the Seahawks to bounce back in a big way. Um, you know, every team's fans seemingly travel well 
to Los Angeles there where they're trying to cultivate that home fan base. And so I like the Seahawks to cover as well. That'll be all for this episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Remember to review, rate, subscribe everywhere you listen, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is you listen to your podcast, and on my YouTube channel at PL on NFL, where you can find our full video of this pod. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.